Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, this story that comes to us from your scripture. And God, I just pray that I would decrease and that you would increase um, so that uh, really your spirit could be at work in and through this message. God, I pray uh, also that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable unto you. And so, God, we ask for your spirit to be at work uh, in creating transformation and challenging and encouraging us through your word today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the story we just heard this morning, I think, has to be one of the craziest stories in the scripture. I mean, there is a lot of stuff happening and some pretty bizarre stuff. We're told about this story of this naked, crazy man who's running around in the tombs, around the graves, uh, all day long and all night long, seemingly not in control of himself. And if I think if he was alive today, he probably would be in some type of institution. But he met with Jesus in the story, and his life was changed. And so I want to take some time this morning and just have us kind of go back through that and see what God would have for us today. And so as we look at kind of the beginning of the story, and it, tells, it talks a lot about who this man was and what his experience was like, and I think we look at that part and we just go, this is a hopeless situation. This guy is so desperate, and there seems to be no opportunity for him to receive any kind of help or any kind of healing. We're told early in the passage that he lives in isolation in the tombs. He's among the dead all the time. That's just not a normal place for a human being to live and to reside. His life was basically full of despair. He was sad. He was lonely. He'd been rejected for the most part by his community. He was avoided by his own community. We're also told that he was uncontrollable. There was a part in the scripture that talks about how the community had tried to bind him, had, had put chains on him to try to keep him under control. And so, but he, even whatever was going on with him uh, was so strong that even the chains, even the, the binds would not hold him and he would break free. And so it was almost like as you're hearing that story about him being bound and, and chained, it's, it's almost like he's trying to be tamed, like he was some kind of wild animal that needed to be tamed. And that something doesn't seem to be right when you hear a human, a story about a human being who needs to be tamed like he's some kind of wild animal. We're told also that he's self-destructive, that in his pain and in his anguish and in the despair of his life, we're, we're told that he runs around all day long and all night long screaming and shrieking, and he would tear his clothes, and, and we're told, too, that he would take stones and he would cut himself, uh, just as he's experiencing that despair and that pain, that he would do more things to bring more pain upon himself. And we, hear this, we see this story, and we just see this guy just seems so desperate. And we look at him and we think, man, this guy really did need Jesus. There was no one else who could help this guy than Jesus. And sometimes I think we look at people who are maybe so hopeless or so desperate that we think that only God can help them. And I think that is true. But sometimes I think we, think, we look at people and we think, well, they obviously need Jesus. But I think when we look at this story, we need to ask the question as we begin, when we look at the man, what do we see in the man, the maniac, that causes us to say, I'm, I'm a part of who he is? There's a part of me, you know, like if we look at him, we think there's times in my own life where I felt like I needed to isolate myself because of whatever I was going through. And maybe you felt that way too. And so maybe sometimes we look at the man and we think there are, there are things in my life that seemingly are under, I can't control. I can't bring under control. Uh, there's some things maybe I do in the, my behavior that are self-destructive patterns of behavior. 
But when we look at this guy, I think we need to understand that, that while he was desperate and he needed Jesus, there's a part of us in him as well. And that each one of us needs Jesus to show up in order to bring hope into whatever our situation may be. It's not just the worst and the messed up people that are the ones that need Jesus, and they're the only ones that need Jesus. And I think his life is really an ultimately an image of what life is like or what life becomes like if we completely are separated from God and left to our own end. We've seen it so often in our culture, in our society, and it ultimately leads to the base thing is hopelessness. But then Jesus shows up in the story, and things start to happen, don't they? It's amazing how often when Jesus shows up in the Gospels that things start to happen. And, and right away, this man hears that Jesus is in the area, and something compels him to go running to Jesus. And there's this, this kind of mixed response that happens as we see this guy running towards Jesus. He is running towards Jesus because there's a part of him that believes that Jesus can help him, that there's something about Jesus that, that can give him some help in the situation. But we also see that when, as he's coming closer to Jesus, there's this crazy thing that starts to happen, and we learn more about it the later on in the story that we go, but there's also this hesitancy that's about this man. Do you notice that? There's this part where he talks about, he begs him not to, you know, don't change me, you know, don't harm me, don't torment me. And so there's kind of this thing that causes the guy to want to go toward him, but also to back away from Jesus. It's almost like the guy doesn't know what to do with Jesus. And I think there's this mixed response in this guy, but I also think anytime that Jesus shows up in the Gospels and things start to happen, there's a mixed response in the crowd, generally. There are people who see who Jesus is, and, and there's something about Jesus that compels them to run towards Jesus. And there's others who experience Jesus and what he's all about, and there's something that compels them to move away from Jesus, to say, no, thank you. I don't want anything to do with you. Leave me alone. And so what, you know, what would our response be? What's our response today? You know, are we compelled to run? Towards Christ, or is there something that's causing us to say, no, I don't want anything to do with you right now? And so the story goes on, and Jesus recognizes that that there's an evil spirit in this man. He begins to have a conversation. It's kind of bizarre. Like, it's like almost like a scene out of the old movie Ghostbusters. You know, there's this really weird thing happening. It's like, who's really talking here? Is it the man, or is it the evil spirits that are speaking? We're not quite sure. And so Jesus is having this conversation, and ultimately he comes to the place where he is going to remove the spirit, and he finds out it's not just one spirit, but it's multiple spirits in this guy. And, and, and they, they, he says, who are you? And he says, they say, legion, which legion is actually a word that was used at that time to describe a force in the Roman army. It would be a force of about 6,000 men. That would make up a legion in the Roman army. And so we don't know for sure if there were 6,000 evil spirits in this guy, but there were a lot of evil spirits in him. And, and obviously nobody had been able to help this guy or control him. And so, but the spirits recognize who he is. And, and they recognize Jesus' authority. And right away they begin to understand that Jesus is going to cast them out of this man. And so now the negotiation is just where is he going to cast us? And so the, the demons beg Jesus. They say, don't cast us far away. Let us stay in the region where it's familiar and we're comfortable and so they recognize there's a herd of pigs on the hillside not too far away. And they said, Throw it, go, send us into the herd of pigs. 
and we'll go there. And so it's so interesting to see how Jesus is exercising these evil spirits from the man. And I always think about, you know, this powerful voice of authority. But the scripture says that Jesus actually gave them permission. That's how he exercised these evil spirits. He gave them permission to go into the herd of the pigs. And so then they leave the guy's body. They go into the herd of pigs. And as soon as these evil spirits embody inside the pigs, the pigs go crazy. And they start stampeding and they go down the hill and off the side of the cliff and into the sea. And then we have a whole different kind of problem, don't we? There's something else going on. And so what's the result of what happened here? We have this hopeless situation. Jesus shows up and things start happening. What's the result? Well, the crowd or the townspeople, they saw or heard about what happened with these pigs going off the edge of the cliff. So they come running out of town and they want to see what happened. And when they run to Jesus, they see that this guy who had been the maniac, the lunatic, is now, according to their witness, seated before Jesus and dressed and in his right mind. What a different kind of guy. Immediate transformation took place in this guy. And so I think just the way the crowd testified of what they saw in this man is important. He's seated. He's no longer running around crazy, out of control. Uh, and in fact, he's seated before Jesus. He doesn't need to be bound in order to sit in front of Jesus. There's no chains on him. He doesn't have any fetters holding him together. He's sitting willingly at the feet of Jesus. And it says he's dressed. I mean, that's a change. The guy used to run around half naked and he would tear his clothes off of himself. And now he's fully dressed and he's staying dressed. And, and it's a sense almost too of this that he's got protection on him now. And then also they recognize that he's in his right mind. He's no longer controlled by the evil spirits. In fact, his mind is clear. His body is clear of those evil spirits. And now he's able to focus. He's able to pay attention. And we're told again, he's seated at the feet of Jesus. Really, this description is the description of a disciple. A disciple, very simple definition, is one who is willing to submit and be seated at the feet of his master and to learn from the master. And so this man has quickly gone from a maniac to a disciple, an amazing transformation. And so it really elicits two responses because of what Jesus had done. And so I want us to think about these two responses for just a a moment. The local folks who'd come out to see what had happened, you'd think they saw the man seated and in his right mind and clothed. You'd think they'd say, oh, my gosh, this is amazing, Jesus. Thank you so much for saving this guy. We've, We've not been able to do anything for him. He's been uncontrollable. This is amazing. We want to just congratulate you and praise you, right? You'd think they'd be telling the guy, oh, this is fantastic. Congratulations. This is so good, such good news. That's what happened, right? No. No. They look at him, and they look at what happened to the pigs, and they look at Jesus, and they were told that they were afraid. They were afraid, I think, for a lot of different reasons. One, they were afraid because I think they were also kind of mad. They, you know, they, were more, uh, they wanted to pay more attention to the pigs and the prophet than they did to somebody whose life was going to be changed. They were more worried about their business of bacon than they were of a life that was going to be changed. And so they asked Jesus, instead of praising him and worshiping him, they asked him to leave. They didn't want anything to do with him. They, they, they were more... Uh, focus on the status quo, uh, you know, staying the same than they were on, 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 on this transformed life taking place and the power of Jesus in transforming this guy's life. And so they ask him to leave. And the second request, Jesus grants it, right? They ask him to leave. He says, okay. He gets on the boat. He says, boys, let's get back on the boat. We're going to head back over to the other side to Galilee. 
And as he's leaving to get on the boat, we're told that he feels basically a tug on his coat. He turns around, and the second response, the man who'd been healed, he says, Jesus, wait a second. He said, I have a request. Can I go with you and your disciples? Can you, will you take me with you as you go? The man was basically all in. He believed. He was a follower. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was ready to give up everything and to go with Jesus to wherever Jesus was going to go. And so Jesus, this is the third request, and it's the only one in the passage that he doesn't grant. Instead of saying, yeah, come on, he says, no. He says, no. He said, you know what? He want, I want you to go back home and tell your people how much the Lord has done for you and how, how he had mercy on you. Now, can you imagine the response of the guy? He's like, you want me to do what? You want me to go back to that community, that place where they rejected me, where they... They tried to chain me up and, and beat, the, beat submission into me. You wanted me to go back to them? They left me in the caves, in the tombs, all by myself. They didn't care about me. They only mocked me. You want me to go back and, and tell those folks? It's the only request that Jesus doesn't grant, right? He gave permission to the evil spirits to go into the pigs. He, he told the townspeople, yeah, I'm going to get on the boat and leave because you don't want me to stick around anymore. So why does he deny this man's request, especially when you think about what this guy had been through in his life? And he wants to be a follower of Jesus. It made me think about uh, the scripture, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, where uh, the scripture says, "For, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. To their great surprise, to the disciples' surprise, they see a totally different response. The man, again, Jesus tells the man, no. I want you to go home, tell your friends and your people about how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And so sadly, we're told, but willingly, the man turns back and he goes back to Gerasene. Now on the Galilean shore, before the disciples had gone over to the other side, the day before, uh, Jesus had bid the disciples, he said, hey, let us cross to the other side of the lake. But now to this man, he basically says, take the side of the cross. You know, elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus says, If any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up my cross daily and follow me. Now you have this new convert, this new disciple, and he's, he's going to deny himself the desire and the wishes to physically follow. The only person who's ever done anything really nice for him, the only one who's been able to help him. So Jesus is saying, No, I don't want you to go with me, but I want you to show your faith and your obedience and, and carry out my bidding. So I want you to go back to your old haunts, you know, where he had been chained, he'd been beaten, he'd been stoned, he'd been mocked, he'd been ridiculed, he'd been insulted, to go back to those people who'd seen him running around naked in the streets all day and all night long. I want you to go back and be a part of that society that basically rejected him to a family probably that was too disgusted with him. They didn't want anything to do with him. They probably didn't want to own that he was a part of their family. Jesus is saying, no, you need to go back. You need to go back all the way to tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Now, towards the closing part of the passage, we read about how this man goes off and he goes to the Decapolis, which is basically a series of ten communities. The the Gerasenes was one of the ten communities called the Decapolis. And this was an area uh, east of the Galilean Sea that was really primarily made up of Greeks and Romans, basically Gentiles, and not a lot of Jews hung out in this part of the the area. And so 
But this guy had basically gone to the whole area of Decapolis and begins to tell everybody about the great things that Jesus had done for him. And perhaps it's the end of the story. We don't hear or read anything about him anywhere else in Scripture. We don't really know what happened for sure. He just kind of slips into oblivion from this point forward. And so, you know, my question is, is it the end of the story? Well, I kind of suspect it wasn't the end of the story. You see, when we go further into Mark, Mark chapter 7, verse 31, we find Jesus, after a long journey uh, from Galilee to Tyre and Sidon, he returns home via the Decapolis, the east side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and what do we see here? Well, we find in Mark later on, there's a deaf and a mute man being brought to Jesus to be healed. Uh, we also find there's a large multitude of people who are following Jesus for three days without any food or any water. In fact, Jesus, uh, in chapter 8, we're told he finds seven loaves of bread, and he blesses and he breaks them, he shares them with the whole crowd, he feeds the crowd. And later on in chapter 8, we read about how there were 4,000 people there that were fed that day and taught by Jesus that day. And my question is, where did all these people come from? In this area where Jesus had not done any ministry other than heal one uh, demon-possessed man. Well, I suspect that this guy actually did what Jesus asked him to do. He went out and he started telling people about what Jesus had done for him. In his faithful ministry, he brought people to Jesus. And Jesus, the word about Jesus had gotten out into these ten communities. He'd made himself a part of Jesus' mission to go and to tell everyone about the love and the mercy of Jesus. And he acknowledged and he has sacrificed himself to Jesus, his master, through his obedience and through his faithfulness. And last but not least, he was able to witness to the message, the good news, the gospel about what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he had done with conviction and with power. Think about his story. You know, I'm sure he would go and he would tell people, you know who I am. You know who I was. You saw me. I was the guy who was running around without any clothes on, who was screaming and beating myself and and not in control. You saw who I used to be. But now look. Look who I am now. Look who I am because of Jesus. It's a powerful witness that brought people to Christ. So what do we make of this story? How can we take any application from this? What are we to do today? Does this sort of thing happen today? I mean, all this craziness, a guy who's filled with evil spirits? Well, I believe yes. I don't know that we see it a lot, but, you know, we hear a lot of testimony, a lot of stories about people who are demon-possessed and who are, are filled with evil spirits. The Apostle Paul, a very rational and logical man, he writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and, or blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what are we to make of evil spirits and of demons? Do they still exist? Are they real? I like what C.S. Lewis, the theologian from the last century, said. He said, he quote, he's quoted, Beloved, there are two equal and opposite fallacies or errors into which we as human beings fall concerning the devil and his demons. One error is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe in and to feel an excessive and an unhealthy interest in them. And he goes on to say, Be assured that Satan is equally pleased if we follow one or both errors. So I believe that evil is still present and evil is real today. And if you pretend it's not, then you're fooling yourself. 
I'm not going to necessarily take a lot of time to de- delve in the whole issue of demons this morning. I don't really think it's what the, the passage is driving us towards. I would just say that I, I've never even heard a demon speak, and I hope I never do. I've heard plenty of stories about that kind of situation. But I've seen a lot of hopeless situations that have been turned around. And I've seen Jesus, the power of Jesus, is at work to turn around those hopeless situations. And I believe that Jesus is still in the business of turning hopeless situations around. That can still be a very painful and disturbing process for the person who's experiencing the transformation sometimes. Sometimes for the people that are connected to that person who's going through that process of transformation. People are still fearful when they see God's power at work today. They still question what's going on. You know, all through the Gospels, there's one question that kind of is a thread all through the Gospels. When Jesus would show up and do amazing things, people would look at him and they they would go, who is this man? You know, the the chapter before this one, when Jesus had told the disciples, hey guys, we're going to get in a boat, we're going to go to the other side, uh, and there's ministry that we have to do over there. So they got in the boat at night, and they started out to go to the other side, and we're told the story, Jesus falls asleep. There's a huge storm that comes up. The disciples think everything is completely lost. They think they're going to be destroyed at the sea. They're desperate. They wake Jesus up. Jesus wakes up, and we're told the story about how Jesus calmed the wind and the waves with just his voice. And so the disciples, who were so fearful of the storm, now they look at Jesus, and we're told in the same passage, they're fearful of Jesus because they look at him and they go, who is this man who can command the wind and the waves? They're more afraid of Jesus than they were the storm. In this passage, we see and we hear the story about how Jesus uh, casts out these evil spirits from this guy. And he, he sends them into the herd of pigs, and the herd of pigs go crazy, and they go off the edge of the cliff, and they go into this ocean, or they go into the sea. And the people are looking at Jesus, and we have the same situation. They're looking at Jesus, and they're going, who is this man? And we're afraid of him. Later on in the Gospels, we're told about how Jesus in his ministry, he, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And there are a lot of witnesses there that day. And when he raises them from the dead, the witnesses look at Jesus and they look at him in awe and fear. And they go, who is this man who can bring the dead back to life? Early in this passage is the man was running towards Jesus. And I'm not sure if it's the man who was saying this or if it was the demons that were in him that were saying this. But he falls at his feet and he says, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, that's the answer. That's who this man is. He's Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. The power of Jesus displayed causes people either to run toward him and worship him or it causes them to reject him out of fear. What's our response today? to who Jesus is and what he is doing. Do we run to him and worship him? Or does it cause us to be afraid of him and back up? Jesus is still in the business of turning around hopeless situations. And he's still asking healed people, healed people like you and me, to do the same thing. Let's look a little closer at verse 19 in this passage. The command that he gives them when he tells them he can't go with them. Jesus said to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He says, go home to your family. Go to your people. Go to your own. This is where Jesus sends the demoniac. And it's where he sends each one of us. He doesn't always call us or send us to an international mission field. Certainly some people he does. But I think for each one of us, the command is the same. Go home 
and tell your people about what I have done for you. It can be one of the hardest things that Jesus asks us to do. You know, it's easy to be spiritual for just a brief periods of time. But, but Jesus is saying, no, I want you to tell them, tell your people about how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus didn't ask this man to go do a Bible study with a group of people. He didn't ask him to go preach a sermon. He didn't say, hey, go open the scrolls of Scripture and teach these folks. No, he said simply open your heart to these people and tell them a story, your story about how much God has done for you, how God is at work in bringing hope to hopeless situations. So too often I think we shy away from our personal testimony or from witnessing. And I don't want you to think it's just only a a public proclamation of what the Lord has done for you. It's not the only way we can obey Jesus' command. I think I'm I'm just so excited we're going to get to hear the testimony of these people that are being baptized this morning. And I think it's awesome. and And we're called to do that, to give a reason for why Jesus is in our life. But it's not just standing in front of a group of people and telling them, but I think also... Uh, There's a lot of people who need to see what the Lord is doing in the lives of people who trust in God. There's a lot of people, think about it, who are experiencing marital difficulties. And they need a couple who can come alongside of them and and more than anybody and say to them, you know what, we had some rough times too in our marriage. But we continue to seek God and God helped us through that situation. And we know that God's going to do the same for you if you continue to seek Him. You know, there are people who if they're honest enough to say, I'm struggling Uh, to be able to pray in my prayer life. They probably don't need to be reminded of all the scripture that talks about how we need to pray as much as they need to hear somebody who said, you know what, there's been times in my life where I struggled with praying and feeling like God was listening and that God was present. But you know what, God was able to help me work through that and God's done some amazing things. And I think if you stick with it, God's going to show up as you pray as well. People who are depressed and who are concerned you know, about their own life. They, they need to hear uh, people who say, you know what, I've experienced some of the same kinds of things that you have. I, don't, I want to encourage you, don't give up because Jesus uh, is present. And Jesus helped me and he, he brought me through that dark time. And I know that if you hang in there, Jesus is going to bring you through that as well. And I'm not going to go anywhere either. I'm going to be your friend through that journey. People need other people to tell them their own story about how God showed up, about how Jesus showed up and what Jesus has done for you and for me. So my prayer for all of us is that may, may God help each of us to tell what Jesus has done for each of us and, and tell about God's great mercy for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you uh, that Jesus was really intentional about going to the other side of the, the Galilean lake to, to rescue this one guy. And God, that's just an image of the good news about Jesus looking down at the hopeless situation in our world and in humanity and saying, I need to go on a rescue mission for each and every one of my created. And God, we're thankful for the way that Jesus ministered to this one. And, and God, it reminds us too that when, when we want to follow you and we, and we want to do things for you that we, we have to be obedient to what you're calling us to do. And we're grateful that this man was obedient to stay and to tell others. And the power of his testimony is he told others about what Jesus had done in his life, how others became interested and open to who Jesus was and to pursue him. God, we pray that 
that, that we would be grateful for what you have done for us. And out of that, that life of gratitude, that we would be willing to share our story, whatever that story is about how, what it was like before, but what it's like with Christ. And then, God, that you would be working us, helping us to be faithful to that message that you've given us, that hopeful message. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.